Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This show is sponsored by Comark, a global provider of innovative software products and business services. Comark's platform is used by leading brands across all industries to drive their customer loyalty. Powered by AI and machine learning, Comark technologies allow you to build, run, and manage personalized loyalty programs and product offers with ease. For more information, please visit comark.com. Hello and welcome to episode 315 of Let's Talk Loyalty, featuring the latest updates and insights from one of the best known and best loved frequent flyer programs, the Flying Blue program from the Air France KLM Group. Ben Lipsy is the Senior Vice President of Customer Loyalty for the group. And I was delighted when he shared that he has been a self-confessed loyalty geek his whole life. I had heard some of Ben's insights at the recent Loyalty and Awards conference in Madrid. And of course, I wanted to learn even more about their successful campaigns and propositions and take the opportunity to share it with you, our global audience. In today's conversation, Ben shares some of the challenges and solutions they've created, such as ways to address the concerns around sustainability which has become such a dominant part of the conversation with passengers in Europe particularly. We also discuss some of the underlying customer psychology and economical differences that are important to understand in order to run a successful airline loyalty program in Europe compared with North America. We also briefly touched on some of the opportunities that Web 3.0 offers. However, as you will hear, our conversation was cut short due to a technical issue on my side of the interview. So please do accept my apologies for that. Thankfully, Ben has graciously agreed to come back on the show in another few months to pick up the conversation where we left off, as well as update us on the latest proposition that he announces today. Please do enjoy today's conversation with Ben Lipsy from Flying Blue. So, Ben Lipsy, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you here. And uh, thank you for your patience. Took a while for me to figure out the technical side. So, super exciting. (laughs) Great stuff. Brilliant. So, listen, I I had a wonderful opportunity, as you know, to be in the audience when you spoke at the Loyalty and Awards Conference recently in Madrid. Uh, We didn't get to chat much then, but I really felt it was super important to have you on the show. So, Let's Talk Loyalty is going to be really excited. So, let's kick off with my usual uh, favorite opening question and understanding what you as a loyalty professional really admire. So tell us your favorite loyalty program, Ben. 
Uh, no, thanks. Uh, thanks, Paul. I think for me, I, I'd have to say that the program that really got me uh, hooked uh, in the industry and really got me hooked as a, as a loyalty geek uh, was the Starwood Preferred Guest uh, at the time, SPG, uh, which has then, of course, been bought by Marriott and, and turned into Marriott Bonvoy. Um, but uh, SPG at the time was really a program which had, I think, a, a rabid uh, almost a group of members who, who were brand <laughs> wow. ambassadors and brand evangelists and, yeah. you know, myself included. And that would go out of my way to stay at uh, at Starwood Hotel so that I could earn my nights and make sure I maintain my status. Okay, my God, rabbit is a very strong word, huh? <laughs> I, I might be exaggerating, but I think there was a, definitely a lot of uh, very passionate members who uh, yeah. who uh, were part of Starwood at the time. Well, I distinctly remember the first program I engaged with, and I used to say, you know, I feel like a loyalty junkie, which again is not a particularly positive word. But yeah. I think as as marketing professionals, when you have that experience of something is really influencing my behavior, it's very yeah. exciting. Absolutely. So where, where did it lead you to then in terms of your career? I've heard you kind of describe yourself as a as a loyalty geek. Yeah, I would. Uh, I self uh, self acclaimed and very unabashedly so a loyalty geek. Um, I got my first foot in the door into the industry uh, on Flyer Talk, actually. So it's uh, you know when I was about sixteen, uh, yeah. and uh, so it's been something that's been true to my heart. And Starwood was really kind of the first program I was engaging with. Uh, you know, after kind of managing my dad's uh, frequent flyer program when I was a kid. Uh, oh, cool. And um, so on the uh, no, but on the Starwood side, it was interesting because you know I was working at Air Canada at the time, traveling uh, for work, uh, and I you know made sure I went out of my way to uh, to uh, stay at Starwood so I could maintain my gold and then platinum. Uh, yeah. And then I climbed up the chain to you know eventually their ambassador tier, 100 nights a year. Uh, wow. And I would you know find creative ways of of going on trips and booking you know friends and family and and, and you know when I was yeah. with them I would book their rooms and it was it was a whole uh, a whole scheme yeah. to make sure that I could maintain it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so what did you do career-wise then? Flyer Talk, I think you said, is where you ended up working, was it? Uh, no, sorry. So Flyer Talk is where I met uh, Ben Smith, who, who was the number two uh, at Air Canada uh, at the time. And ah. ultimately, he offered me, uh, I told him I was uh, interested in an internship. And wow. I called him and spoke to him and, and realized we were both kind of very passionate about aviation. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, he offered me an internship. And uh, I have to say it was probably the coolest job you could ever have at that age. Uh, I was effectively responsible for benchmarking the business class lounges of our competitors and then designing the food and beverage menu for the Air Canada Maple Leaf Lounge. Oh, um, my God. So wow. that was really exciting. And that got me uh, you know, hooked on the industry. Yeah. And uh, then fortunately, when I when I graduated, they offered me a full time job. And from there, yeah. I you know worked in, in various commercial departments, strategy and marketing and revenue management and all of yeah. that. And then uh, ultimately, uh, Ben, uh, you know, started working directly for him. And then when he got the opportunity to move to uh, Air France KLM, uh, I joined him uh, and I was his chief of staff and then uh, moved into uh, Flying Blue uh, about six months ago. Oh, my goodness. So you're fairly new yeah. back in the loyalty business, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. So a baptism of fire, I'm sure, is it? <laughs> you could say that. You could say that. But it's, you know, it's interesting because although I'm, I'm, you know, relatively new in this, in this role, uh, yeah. like, you know, like I was mentioning, loyalty has been something I've been, I've been quite passionate about since I was, uh, since I was a kid. So, um, sure. 
you know, it's been uh, uh, top of mind. It's been something I, I, you know, engage with many loyalty programs and I'm, you know, elite in, in several. Um, yeah. And uh, it's something which certainly affects my behavior and is something that I see yeah. firsthand how we can influence uh, what I refer to as irrational decision making. Um, totally. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't mean that you know, in a Machiavellian way, but more yeah. to say that I think, you know, when you can rely on emotion to help guide decision-making uh, versus simple transaction-based decision-making uh, from a customer perspective, I think you can really help customers find outsized value uh, yeah. and, and what internally we refer to as loyalty value, which mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, the the financial impact of them coming back and, and, and you know, using your brand or your product, uh, yeah. even when perhaps it's not the most logical in the sense that if it's more expensive or less convenient, but they still choose choose to engage with yeah. you because of yeah. loyalty. And I see yeah. that, you know, I see that that behavior in myself and I see that hopefully as in this job, yeah. I see that's my job to kind of encourage and incentivize members to do the same. Totally, totally. We can cultivate that. And just before we get into the detail of Flying Blue then, Ben, you mentioned briefly in passing there that you were managing your, your I think you said your father's account um, yeah. in terms of loyalty. How did yeah. that go? Just given your comment about irrational behavior, <laughs> did it go down so, well in the family? <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. He, you know, I, I'm Canadian, and so you know, we were, he was flying a lot with Air Canada at the time, and and uh, so I was able to help uh, navigate and encourage and tell him, you know, how to maximize his uh, his flights uh, so that yeah. he would achieve elite uh, at Air Canada, which of course, uh, by extension, meant that when we traveled with the family, we could go into the lounge, uh, okay. which of course was, you know, the first kind of emotional reward when you, uh, okay. <laughs> you say, "Look at me, I feel so special." Yeah. Um, so uh, that was really, uh, I think he was he was happy. He didn't have to do that the legwork himself uh, totally. and for me it was exciting because I remember our, from my first trip to Europe we were able to use his upgrade certificates and fly in business class so you know you really Amazing. see the the benefit yeah. uh, uh, tangible benefits right there for sure for sure and myself as well I think I mentioned to you last time we spoke Ben that I'm ex-British Airways and ex-Emirates so also share the love of the airline industry so even outside of loyalty I suppose the commercial side and I suppose the pure inspiration I suppose is something that we we really feel connected by so so tell us about Flying Blue then um, we've talked about it being a baptism of fire and um, the last I saw I think it's about 18 million members but I'd love you to share just I suppose the scale of the program and um, because I know it's the program sure. of course for Air France KLM and a number of other airlines but just yeah. give us some context. So yeah, so Flying Blue, uh, well, let's take a step back. So KLM and Air France were the first uh, two European airlines to consolidate uh, mm -hmm. back in 2005. Uh, and at the time, um, the only model for airline consolidation was in the US when uh, one of the brands disappeared. So, you know, you had six major airline brands. Now you kind of have three. Um, you know, United was Continental and United. You had American, which was American and US Airways. You had Delta, which was Delta Northwest. And yeah. three of those six now remain. So in Europe, you know, there's a much stronger national tie to um, the, the, the the airline. So, you know, Air France is very much the airline of France. And so the concept of, you know, having yeah. Air France flights flying out of the Netherlands was really uh, incomprehensible and that, that would never work. Uh, and KLM, of course, has its own strength, its own brand. So when the yeah. two airlines came together, um, they decided to keep their individual respective brands and their ties to their respective countries and their respective mm -hmm. hubs. 
Mm. And so the first major sign of uh, cooperation uh, was a joint loyalty program, uh, yeah. which was launched in initially in 2005. And that was the kind of, you know, amalgamation of uh, Air France, uh, Fréquence Plus, and you had the Royal, uh, sorry, the Flying Dutchman uh, from KLM. And yeah. so Flying Blue in the last 15 and I guess now uh, 17 years uh, has grown uh, demonstrably. We've, we, you know, we've grown to 18 million members uh, around the world. Um, of course, our home markets in France and the Netherlands being the biggest, uh, but we also have quite a sizable base in, you know, in, in, in Switzerland, in the Nordics, uh, in the US and in the UK, which uh, being former uh, British Airways, you may or may not know, we, uh, well, KLM is the, is the second largest airline in the UK and actually outside of London flies to the most uh, airports in the UK. So more than BA. Uh, wow. And uh, so we're kind of the airline of choice and so for, for you know, and most yeah. of the people living in northern UK. So if you think about, yeah. you know, a natural market for Flying Blue, you know, the outside of France and the Netherlands, there is one right there. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I clearly BA don't, um, you know, emphasize that point. So so fair play <laughs> <laughs> to be the airline of choice in, in, in the UK. Um, yeah. That's huge. I definitely wasn't aware of that. From a loyalty perspective, I guess, Ben, you know, given your Air Canada experience, how yep. would you say the programs differ or the loyalty initiatives and I guess the propositions? Because in yeah. my mind, you know, again, it is much um, more mature. Mature, I would say, you know, in the US, particularly with the co-brand cards. Yeah. So given that kind of national context and the psychology in Europe, what are you finding that loyalty program members are looking for? Ooh, um, how much time do we have? So, um, <laughs> uh, you you kind of hit two uh, two nails on the head there. So the first one is is psychology, customer psychology, which I think differs uh, yeah. both in in North America uh, compared to compared to Europe and the way people view uh, yeah. the importance of loyalty programs in their decision making. Uh, yeah. So you know, in North America, you don't have the same uh, pride or the same kind of ties to the airlines as you do in Europe. Um, mm. The Germans love Lufthansa, uh, the French love Air France, the Dutch love KLM, the British love British Airways. Uh, there's a strong national pride, strong desire to fly those airlines. Um, and so there's almost a, uh, you know, independent of a loyalty program, there's this, there's this you know, inherent uh, choice, if yeah. possible, to go with yeah. the airline. Uh, yeah. In the US and Canada, you don't have the same um, kind of inherent loyalty. In the US, there's no national carrier. Uh, yeah. And, you know, more or less each of those kind of three uh, US legacy carriers are somewhat interchangeable, um, mm. hub cities aside, uh, mm. product is very similar, network is relatively similar. So, um, you know, there's uh, there's uh, uh, loyalty becomes much more uh, of an influent, uh, influential kind of, you know, lever that you can, you can play with. Yeah. Um, the second uh, uh, major thing which you've identified is the power of co-brand cards in North America compared to, uh, compared to Europe. Mm. So in Europe, uh, we don't have uh, at the very base. We don't even really have commercial, uh, sorry, consumer uh, revolving credit. Um, so the concept of you know um, having a credit card it simply doesn't exist uh, yeah. in the same way as it does in North America. And yeah. when you add that, you know, and and by consumer credit, you you know the banks kind of hope that a percentage of their customers are going to not pay back their bills every month, which then allows them to charge interest. Um, yeah. Coupled with uncapped 
uh, interchange fees, which is the fee that the merchant pays uh, the bank for processing credit card transactions, uh, yeah. can be in the range of three to four percent. In Europe, uh, they're capped by EU regulation at zero point three percent. So wow. you know, you couple those two things together, the banks don't have as much money uh, mm. to um, have generous co-brand uh, card propositions in Europe. So you know, yeah. it it creates a um, scale uh, that is a lot bigger in in the U.S. and you have both from a customer psychology perspective, you know, American created mm -hmm. loyalty in 1981 uh, yeah. with the advantage. And they've, you know, you look at the power that in 2008, Citibank, which is their co-brand partner, effectively bailed them out by by loaning them or pre-purchasing a billion dollars worth of uh, Amer uh, advantage miles. So yeah, the scale is really such that this is the banks really view these loyalty programs as almost a, a financial center, so much so that in mm. uh, uh, when we look at the 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 kind of breakdown of where the revenues come from uh, mm. in loyalty programs, 80 plus percent in the in the U.S. market comes mm. from uh, financial partnerships, effectively, so credit cards. Yeah. Um, whereas in Europe, it's totally the inverse. So we, yeah. as Flying Blue, you know, we have 12 co-brands around the world. I think we have more than our European mm. competitors, to be to be sure. I mean, we have cards, of mm. course, in France and the Netherlands, um, but mm. also uh, in the U.S. And we just launched one in Canada. Um, we also have them in Japan and Saudi Arabia and Lebanon. So, I mean, we really try to go where yeah. our customers are. Um, yeah. and offer uh, offer products that can help uh, kind of um, you know make sure our brand is also is also present in those markets but the the scale and the power is just not the same um, mm. so putting all of that into a into a kind of a wrapping that up with a bow you see both the consumer psychology is different the way as a result the consumers are then hooked or mm. or you know chasing those those miles is not yeah. the same in Europe yeah, the cards therefore you know don't have that same pull, uh, so we have to work on other things to keep them engaged. And also, um, mm. you know, there's other influences. There's things like the sustainability concerns, which is much more prevalent in Europe uh, than it yeah. is in the U.S. Um, but we then also have to you know shift our focus uh, to where the money is. So we have on the one hand, we're trying to convince our customers in the, our home markets as well as around the world to continue to fly with us. That's our uh, what we call a loyalty value, the the revenues that we can, the additional revenues we can extract out of customers who will choose to fly with Air France mm. and KLM. Um, and the second uh, major KPI is, is direct revenue we get from our from selling miles to, to credit cards and to other other partners uh, yeah. where you have some in Europe, but we also have a significant amount of focus on, on the US. Um, mm. And you're seeing uh, kind of uh, now, uh, you know, Flying Blue is, is a transfer partner, for example, of the big mm. four transfer, you know, transferable points currencies in the mm. US with Amex and City and Chase and, and now Capital One. And, mm. you know, for us, we're really trying to improve our proposition, our redemption program to make it more attractive for Americans to earn miles, both on our co-brand card with Bank of America, as well as to transfer miles from the U.S. banking partners into Flying Blue and redeem via Flying Blue uh, mm. with a number of enhancements that we've both made and are about to make. Um, mm. To encourage those members, because like I said, that's where the money is. Um, yeah. So. All that to say, different markets, different landscapes, different customer psychology, uh, yeah. different tools, different levers that we have. Um, mm. So all in all, it's been a quite a fascinating adjustment for me, but also, I mean, I think we have huge potential. For sure. And actually, I'm very glad you, you finished on such a high note, actually, there, Ben, because I was beginning to get worried. <laughs> 
you, you know, genuinely though, you know, as you talk through the amount of challenge um, and, and the levers that are not as strong in the European market compared to the US, mm-hmm. it's quite dramatic. And we did have one of your colleagues on uh, last year, in fact, talking about the Flying Blue kind of partnership strategy. Um, and that seems to have been one that did um, and does extremely well for you guys beyond mm-hmm. the, the usual suspects, I would call them in terms of the, the, the travel partners. I know you have a lot of retail partners and there seems to be a very tangible, I suppose, commercial benefit to two partners of Flying Blue um, that really, I suppose, appreciate the currency. So uh, that sounds like something that's going to continue. Um, and, and with yep. that already said, um, I suppose that the sustainability piece is one that I did want to focus on today because sure. we're all hearing so much about it. Is it something that's guiding um, propositions within loyalty? Because clearly it is for the airline. So I think we can take that yep. as a given. And I've seen yep. some of the statements on the group website. But tell us how you're thinking about sustainability from a loyalty perspective with Flying Blue. So um, I guess you know the majority of your of your listeners are probably uh, English speaking, uh, and uh, sure. so you know living in in jurisdictions where, to be fair, I have not seen the uh, 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 same prevalence of sustainability concerns as we have in 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 Europe, so in France and the Netherlands, uh, yeah. but also in in a number of other EU countries. Um, so. In uh, uh, Flying Blue, we've really tried to do our part to support the airlines in uh, achieving their sustainability goals and trying to, uh, like I say, make uh, kind of uh, encourage the right behavior um, yeah. uh, by participating in some of the sustainability, you know, the green um, um, ancillary options, for example, can, uh, contributing to uh, our sustainable aviation fuel uh, projects, what we call SAF. Um, and uh, but it's gotten to the point where, you know, in France, uh, you know, flights were uh, banned if there's a train option. Uh, domestic flights were banned if there's a train option under two and a half hours. In the Netherlands, yeah. there's a bill being debated in Parliament that would ban effectively frequent flyer programs because they're seen as, uh, you know, potentially not uh, encouraging sustainable behavior. So there really is a significant pressure that we feel here that our, our uh, you know, colleagues in the U.S. and other markets don't don't feel and don't have to deal with. Um, mm. So, you know, what we've done in, in some of the things, uh, like I say, to encourage uh, the, the the conscious choices, as we call them, um, you know, we were the first, if I'm not mistaken, the first in the industry to really uh, award uh, members with uh, XP, which is the uh, um, status currency. I mean, it's the points that you need to earn uh, status uh, okay. for uh, 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 green ancillary. So for, for uh, contributing to SAF, for example, um, okay. or um, uh, those kinds of things, they earn XP. And we were one of the first ones nice. to actually, yeah. you know, if effectively say you now need to fly less if you yeah. contribute to green, uh, green initiatives, um, wow. because you know if you assume you need say 300 XP to maintain your platinum status, uh, previously you had to fly uh, yeah. to earn you know your 300 XP, and now yeah. you can contribute, you can you can buy uh, SAF, you can contribute to SAF, uh, which and get XP from that, which then reduces the amount of uh, flight activity you need to make, which of course is like is a big bold move for an airline to say, but for us yeah. we think it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah. And uh, so we're seeing a lot of members really kind of take advantage of this and really enjoy this uh, yeah. this new uh, new proposition. But we also see it does have a revenue upside as well. I mean, um, you know, we used to have, um, we still have, I mean, members that make kind of what they call XP runs or, you know, equivalent to, to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, flight uh, or, you know, you could call them hotel or mattress runs. You know, it exists in kind of every industry. 
Yeah. But what it means is people would fly either unnecessary flights or they would yeah. add on segments unnecessarily to existing trips so that they would get the extra points. Uh, totally. So to give you an example, you know, we award XP based on segment and it's a function of distance and cabin. Um, okay. But if you're going from, you know, Amsterdam to New York, for example, yeah. instead of going on, you know, one of the two or three direct flights, uh, yeah. if you wanted to get your extra five or 10 XP, you could go Amsterdam, Paris, New York. Um, wow. And because the pricing, generally speaking, is aligned and it, it's it's O&D based, uh, mm. we as the airline were forced to carry you an extra leg unnecessarily, which reduces wow. what we call the revenue quality. So by offering uh, new ways to earn XP, you actually, mm. again, disincentivize undesirable behavior and rather encourage members to make what we view yeah. as the right thing to do for for the planet while also uh, having yeah. an upside potential on the or upside effect on the on the revenue yeah. quality for the airlines so it, we look at it as a win-win yeah yeah i mean it's 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 absolutely extraordinary and we all know those stories of course of you know doing the mileage run and and literally having that um you know that level of you know anticipation and excitement in order to to change behavior in such a dramatic way i i think what i'm hearing and i hope i'm summarizing this well enough ben is it reminds me, I did work on a loyalty program in an energy company back in Ireland called Electric Ireland. And there was that same, you know, I suppose, um, surprising factor, you know, from the outside, but of course, very obvious in that we couldn't incentivize people to use more electricity. You know, that was obviously not, not yeah. a thing. Um, yeah. But what you do want is share of wallet. So Correct. I think what I'm hearing is you're saying, you know, if you're going to fly, please do fly with Air France and KLM. So Correct. the messaging has to, I guess, reflect a very important point. Absolutely. And it's it's a really interesting point that you make because that uh, is exactly the case. So, you know, you're seeing, uh, again, because of a lot of the, the you know, focus on sustainability in these markets, you're seeing the messaging changing on the part of the airlines. I mean, there's a lot less uh, public yeah. advertising on, on TV, on the radio, for example. Um, yeah. and the messaging is changing. So instead of saying fly more or, you know, uh, these are attractive prices that you can get away now, uh, yeah. it's it's effectively saying you're talking about the brand, you're talking about, you know, the, 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 the product that we offer on board, uh, mm. the experience of flying with us and, mm. you know, the, the underlying message is, you know, we're not going to tell you to fly, but if you do have to fly, if you do choose to fly, we would prefer it be with, uh, with Air France or KLM and yeah. Flying Blue is the same, you know, we're, we, we are, we are fundamentally an airline, you know, loyalty program. We exist to reward, uh, travel yeah. with the airlines. That is who we are. Uh, mm. but we think we can also do more to incentivize members to make, um, you know, conscious choices uh, when they do fly, such as, uh, contributing yeah. to our, uh, sustainability mm. goals as well. Love it. Love it. And I do want to move on in a second now to um, some of the, dare I say, sexier stuff in terms of, you know, <laughs> sure. what, what the future holds. But just before yeah. I do, I saw a wonderful figure on your website, Ben, as well. I just wanted to mention and I suppose acknowledge because it's on the charity side. And again, mm -hmm. like all good loyalty programs, you've got all of the kind of core propositions, of course, in place. But I think sometimes it's not visible in terms of what's what's being delivered. Um, but the statistic really impressed me. 31 million miles donated in 2021 by Flying Blue members. I thought that was amazing. 
Yeah. No, and, and we were really pleased because we uh, partner with a number of, uh, of NGOs and uh, and other, uh, you know, sustainable groups um, uh, and, uh, and relevant uh, relevant partners in, in that space. And what we uh, do with the donated miles really depends on the on the individual partner. But for example, with the, uh, uh, you know, Médecins Sans Frontières, which is Doctors Without Borders, um, for example, they uh, need to travel uh, a lot uh, for their for their work. And so when members donate to them, uh, they can mm-hmm. then use those miles towards tickets and can travel uh, effectively mm-hmm. free of charge to you know any number of places in on the network that that we fly to, uh, which is yeah. quite extensive. So, um, yeah. you know, we saw a lot. I think during COVID there was not a whole lot of travel going on, uh, yeah. and a lot of members uh, felt I think that they you know one of the ways that they could help uh, do their part and to recognize those uh, that mm-hmm. were you know really working on the front line was to donate their miles to uh, any number yeah. of partners that we have in that space. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure you've seen it over your career already, Ben, as well, is that very often what happens is people will say they want a charity partner or proposition. Um, but, you know, when it comes to it, they might not actually make the donation. Yeah. But I think what um, what we've all seen is that the pandemic did, I suppose, focus the mind. And as you said, I guess when yeah. we, we couldn't travel ourselves, there was that opportunity to, to be of service. So um, incredible. Yeah. 31 million. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So listen, Web 3.0 is a topic that I think, um, you know, interests and confuses a lot of people, certainly from my perspective. Um, So I'm going to um, just quickly ask you, we just have a few minutes left now, just quickly ask, what are you excited about in terms of Web 3.0? Um, for us, it's a it's an interesting um, field. Uh, you know, we're not yet sure what the future is going to be. I think a lot of companies are trying to figure out their footing uh, in that space. Um, but one of the ones that you know, a story that kind of caught my eye, which was I found fascinating, is when you see more crossovers from the you know physical world into the virtual, uh, and you're seeing a lot of shops, uh, physical shops set up, you know, virtual boutiques in the metaverse, for example. Um, mm. And uh, you know, the one that really stood out to me was what Nike did uh, with a company called Artifact. Fact, Nike um, uh, bought this company called Artifact for a billion dollars, uh, and it was started by I think you know a couple of 24-year-olds. Uh, wow! And uh, they effectively they made um, uh, virtual uh, sneakers. I mean, they made sneakers in the metaverse uh, using NFTs. So mm-hmm. they were you know they were tokenized and everything, but they were and you would buy them and they were going for I think upwards of fifty thousand uh, dollars when you do the conversion from crypto at, at the time, um, wow. which was phenomenal and you know some would say insane but you know this is really you're seeing the power of the of the of the metaverse and the new kind of the, the new frontier so to speak and yeah. so nike really saw the potential for this and so they they invested in this company artifact and mm-hmm. now you see that artifact is on the same top line brand uh platform as converse as air jordan and as nike so it's really one of the top line brands Um, and uh, Nike really believes in it because they've also started to say, okay, how do we bridge that gap from the virtual to the physical? And so they've kind of created these these collabs uh, and they have, you know, these virtual sneakers that will drop in the metaverse that can be customized, which then, you know, you can you can buy that customized shoe and Nike will will sell it in the real world. And yeah. they're going for two to three times the price of normal sneakers. They're going for selling between four and $600 in the yeah. store. So Nike is making money on both sides of the equation, which is great from a commercial perspective. People are happy because they get their yeah. virtual sneakers and an NFT. 
Yeah. They can then replicate that with a physical sneaker in the real world. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, and, and, and they're, it, again, they're exploring new ways to, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, take advantage of this, uh, this new opportunity. So for us, you know, I can't say that, um, that this is really something that we're going to do tomorrow, but it is uh, certainly an interesting opportunity for us uh, mm. to uh, to explore. Okay, okay. Well, listen, with that said, Ben, um, I, I would love to um, literally stay closely connected to, of course, your journey and everything that you're going to do in that space. So Great. I really feel it's important for a program like Flying Blue that we stay and, and, and stay up to date, I guess, you know, um, from year to year with all the various propositions. So with that said, is there any other final thing that you want to mention to our audience before we wrap up? Uh, well, thanks for having me on. I mean, I, I'm I'm super excited. I think there's a lot of potential we have. Um, you know, one thing I'll give you guys just a sneak peek. Uh, you know, we've had a couple of product launches uh, and evolutions in the last year. We launched a family uh, program, which allows you know members to create a family. I think of up to uh, up to eight people. Um, and uh, what we're about to launch is a stopover uh, feature, which uh, allows uh, members to uh, have a stopover for up to a year uh, at no additional charge in in miles or cash uh, when connecting between two. Every France and Canada flights. So this means, for example, if you're going from New York to Barcelona, uh, you can yeah. connect via Paris. And previously, you know, if you wanted to stop in Paris for more than 24 hours, it would have been a second award. Whereas now yeah. you can have, you know, effectively two trips for the price of one um, and stop over in, uh, in in Paris or Amsterdam uh, for no additional charge. So we're really excited. We think that members are going to be happy. We think that this is going to be a great, uh, a great feature that members will like. And um, we, you know, look, looking forward to doing more of that, of that kind of thing. Oh, my goodness. Super exciting, Ben. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's absolutely a, a powerful proposition. Wonderful way to end. So with that said, I have to say, really exciting to hear from Ben Lipsy, Senior Vice President of Customer Loyalty and Head of Flying Blue. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paula. Thanks so much. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.